Welcome, everybody. Welcome to New Vintage Church. Welcome to those of you who are watching us online. Uh, I'm blessed to be able to preach here most weekends at New Vintage Church, and to each of you who braved the sleet and the snow to get here today, we are so thankful uh, that you're here. Amen. Amen. Um, We're going to be in Exodus chapter 13 today. If you have a Bible and want to get it open or get your uh, trusty phone out, your Bible app, we're going to be there today. We're in a series called The Promises of God, and Uh, As far as the promises of God, there are a lot of directions you can go. We talked last Sunday about uh, the four different kinds of promises uh, that are there. You have these conditional, that's a if-then kind of thing. If you do this, I'll do that. Uh, There are unconditional, which is God just kind of lavishing His grace on people. He says, you don't got to do anything for this. I'm just blessing you with this, and I promise you, I'm going to do this. For instance, I'm not going to destroy the earth by flood again, right? So that, that's just when he does, does just because, all right? Uh, then you have specific promises. These are ones that are given to a particular person or a particular generation or a particular location or something like that. So for instance, he says to uh, Abraham that even though he's, a, he's an old, 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 old man and that his wife is uh, ripened as well, uh, that they are going, she's going to give birth to uh, a child. Now, uh, that's given to Abraham, and I'm thankful that that's not given to me because I don't want to have any more kids in my 90s, right? Um, but, but it's given just to Abraham, not, not to me, okay? And then there are what we call the imaginary promises of God. The imaginary promises of God are promises that I wish God made, that I make up and put in God's mouth, but that He never made Himself, Uh, So we're going to take a look at this intersection of those kind of promises today, a promise that he never made, uh, but but that sometimes people have, which is like, okay, God says he's he's going to do this for me and I expect him to do it now, uh, on my time, on my timeline. All right, so as uh, that kind of thing is uh, playing out, I want to just take you to um, to the wacky world of Israel, ancient Israel. Just go there with me for a moment, Exodus chapter 13. God had made two very, 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 very big promises on which the future of Israel depended. One was that they were going to be delivered from slavery, that he was going to lead them out, and that he was going to take them, number two, to a land that would become theirs, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of promise, the promised land, okay? So what ends up happening is uh, we get, they, they end up, he first gets them out of Egypt, he delivers them. But then there's this gap between that and the time they enter the promised land, where this picks up is basically the the now leaving Egypt sign has just kind of passed on their way out. And they are thinking probably, great, next stop, promised land. PL, on its way very soon. That was a mistake to think that. And so what we're going to pick up now is right at that point in time where They have just been delivered from Egypt. Here's what the text says. Exodus 13, 17 to 20. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. So even though it was the shortest route, that's not where where God led them. All right. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. But God knew they weren't ready. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. That's weird. 
For Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. And he said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. The Israelites left Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. All right. So I'm going to give you a, a statement here, uh, and I want you to let it, let it sink in. Okay? Here's your, your, your little outline today. Okay? God's time isn't always our time, but it's the right time, and his time always comes. All right? So God's time isn't always our time, but it is the right time, and his time always comes. So let's pick that apart in light of the text that we just read. Okay? God's time isn't always our time. We'll start there. God sends them what he believes is the best way. It's not the short way. Now, I have a route to this building, okay, that I don't share with anybody. I have a way of getting here that is known only to me, and the reason I don't share with anybody is because I don't want you on it, all right? Because if you're on it, then it will no longer be the shortest way. So it's taken me, I don't know, I've been driving this route for, for a few years at least and doing it multiple times a day, and I have it. And I picked it because there are the fewest stops Fewest odds of a red light, fewer people on that route. It's my little route. I love it. Now, right now, some of you pragmatists are pulling out Google Maps. And you're like, I bet he's doing this and he's doing that. And you're going to develop your own little route. And here's what I guarantee you. It's probably not going to be the longest one. Nobody in this room is going to pick the longest route. We're all going to find the way we think we can get there the quickest with the fewest stops, uh, the least whatever, all right? Where the, we, you're going to find your own little parking spot. That's your spot. Right now, you're finding your own little chair in the side of the Ritz. I mean, it, we, are, we are like the birds, the, I mean, the, the, the swallows of Capistrano. We have habits. We, we drift places. Uh, we perch places. We're habitual, all right? The people of Israel undoubtedly think when they leave, they are on their way to the promised land, and they're on their way quickly. Moses is probably hoping for that. Quite an ordeal he just had there in Egypt, right? The whole ten plagues thing, the whole rejection by Pharaoh thing, the whole the Israelites think I'm a traitor and a loser and everything else thing. He's been through quite the ordeal, right? Okay, great. Now we can go on to the promised land, and everything is going to be amazing. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. And then God says, you know what? They're not ready for the promised land yet. So how about this? Uh, I'm going to take you the long way. And I have to imagine uh, that they thought that's wrong. But listen to what he says. He sends them the best way, not the shortest way. He says to Moses, they are not ready for the Philistines. In fact, when they see one, they're going to get afraid and they're going to want to go back to Egypt. They're going to want to go back because essentially they're so spiritually immature that even though I just delivered them out of the hands of Pharaoh, even though they saw the whole ten plagues thing, even though they're about to watch the whole Red Sea thing, he knows that collectively they are a crockpot of cowards. They don't have it in them yet. They don't have a strong enough faith. So he says, because they're going to want to go back to Egypt, I am not taking them there. We're not going to go that route. The Philistines... They're big, they're ugly, they're mean. You may remember, uh, well, you don't re they didn't remember because it hadn't happened yet, but you can remember, you know, one guy named Goliath, right? Big, ugly, mean, nasty guy. 
The book of Judges, Samson is going around. All he does is battle the Philistines through almost his entire thing. The Philistines are the proverbial thorn in the heel of Israel their entire run up. Their entire existence is a people. And he says, they are not ready. And when they see the Philistines, they're going to go, okay, I get it now. God just brought us out here to kill us. It wasn't bad enough that we were in slavery for 400 years. He brought us out here to kill us. So let's go back. Now, turns out he's not wrong because the Israelites will almost weekly, it seems, want to go back to Egypt. So once this event is over, they will be led to the banks of the Red Sea. God's about to do the greatest miracle they will ever see with their eyes. And they will say, oh no, here we go. He brought us out here to kill us. Moses is a fraud. God is a fraud. You're all frauds. We're going to die. Let's go back to Egypt. Right as he's getting ready to part the Red Sea. Once they make it across, so now they've seen the ten plagues. They've seen the Red Sea. You know what they do? They start griping about the food. And they say, you know what? That slave food we got in Egypt was better than this mush. Remember the onion and the garlics and the leeks? Do you remember how amazing the food was back there? Wasn't it just scrumptious? Let's go back to Egypt because I'm tired of the cafeteria food out here in Casa Wilderness. And so they want to go back. So when God does this, he's not wrong. They want to go back to Egypt for almost anything because it's hard to know what it's like to live in freedom when all you've known is slavery. And he knows it. So it's proven over and over and over again. Some people are in this room, I guarantee you right now as you sit here, are disillusioned and frustrated because you think that God promised you something or God said He would do this in your life, but you haven't experienced it yet. So this is a text for anybody who's ever wondered, when is God going to do blank? All right? He's taking them the long route. Now, to illustrate what God's up to here, uh, this is a movie theater, among other things. Got a big, beautiful screen we're going to fire up this weekend. I'm very excited about it. Um, so we're going to use two movie characters. Uh, you know both of them, I, I believe. Uh, we're going to start in the, in the magical land of Oz with this young lady. Her name's Dorothy. Dorothy is, I mean, who doesn't love Judy Garland, the Wizard of Oz? Come on, man. I mean, she, she's amazing, right? And, and there's Glenda, the good witch, right? And, and with this part of the movie, you know, in her Glenda way, you know, she's, you know, throwing pixie dust around and, and whispering sweet nothings in Dorothy's ear. And Dorothy is about ready to click her heels and say, there is no place like home. Well, she's going to click her heels and she's going to go home. I think a lot of people think that when they get baptized, that you get a free pair of ruby slippers. And that all you do is you click your heels and God takes you from here to there. Right? Just like that. Like it's on the clapper. Like if I click my heels, all of a sudden it'll happen. You know, uh, I'll, I'll talk to people who are starting brand new churches. And they think they're going to start and then there are going to be tens of thousands of people next Sunday. And it's like, you're not ready for that yet. Few ever end up there anyway. And that may not be what God wants for you. So do you want the fastest? Do you want the biggest? Or do you want God's will? That's the question. 
And if you want God's will, then you have to be willing to travel God's route. That means you have to be willing to say, if it takes 10 years, it'll take 10 years. It takes 20 years. Or if it never happens, then it may be that just like the Israelites, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Now, so you have the clicking of the heels. In reality, it's a little bit more like this guy here in the movies. You remember Daniel? He had a very strict schedule. Wake up, go to school, get beat up, come home. And he kept that schedule on a daily basis thanks to the lovely gentleman of the Cobra Kai Dojo. He had one goal in his life, don't get beat up today. That's all he wanted. He wanted to learn how to fight. That was what he thought would make the difference. So he meets Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi promises to train him for the tournament. They go out, you may remember, he doesn't hand him a, you know, he wants to, he goes, hey, when, when am I going to learn how to punch? And he says, ay, 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 ay. He sits him down and he says, walk right side, safe, walk left side, safe, walk middle. Just like grape, right? Then he goes on, he gives him a, a chamois, like a, like a waxing pad on each hand. Wax on, say it with me, wax off, right? Okay. Now Daniel is doing this and he, he goes along with it for a while, right? Okay, okay, okay. I told you, you could teach me, you know. There's a moment in time where Daniel then has had enough and he basically says, okay, you want me to wash your cars and paint your house and paint your fence? Oh yeah, I learned plenty, you know. And he's going off because he feels like he got hosed by Mr. Miyagi. What Mr. Miyagi knows is that he's training Daniel for this tournament. If he taught Daniel how to punch and then sent him to the tournament, he'd get killed. Daniel thinks he's ready. He ain't ready. I'm going to suggest to you, there are times, there are not many in my experience, where God gives us the Dorothy treatment. There are a few times where you just walk in the promises of God, it seems like they're coming fast and furious and on time, man. Most of the time, though, that's not the case. God is taking you somewhere by, on a certain path, on a certain time, in order to give you the best way. To them, the goal of entering the promised land is the promised land. The consumption of the benefits of the promised land. In God's mind, the benefit of the promised land is their sanctification. Living in the promises of God. It's not just a land you hear about, it's a place you live. It's an existence. It's a place that you walk where you know that the goodness and the favor of the Lord are walking before you like a pillar of cloud and fire. He wants that for them. And yes, you'll get the promised land too, Jesus would say. You know, don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom and all those things will be added to you as well. So it's not, it's not either or. But God is more interested in who we are once we're in the promised land than whether or not we actually get to go there and consume it. So, our time is not always God's time. Number two, but His time is the right time. Look at the wisdom of his leadership here. He says he wants Israel to take the long route for now. Now, it's not, again, it's not always that way, but our goal usually is to find the quickest route, to get there as quickly as possible with as least trouble as possible. I think that's a very rational way to see it. But one of the things that you can, from looking at this passage, that you can notice is that God doesn't lead them into something that they can't handle. So as long as you follow God's leading, He's not going to lead you into something you can't handle because he's with you. And if he leads you there and he's with you, 
you're going to be fine. There is a constant disagreement in my mind between when I'm ready and when I'm not. Often, I don't think I'm ready and God thinks I am. He does this with like Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you're 12. Get out there, boy. Start preaching. Jeremiah's like, I'm just a boy. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, you're fine. Go. You know, Josiah, hey, I don't, I'm eight years old. That's fine. Great. Perfect time to be king. Go. Right? Lead the reform that changes all of Judah. You know, and Moses, time to go lead Pharaoh. I'm not ready. I'm a terrible speaker. You know, he says, and he sends him anyway. Right? And then you have the Israelites who are like, promised land, here we go. And he's like, you're not ready for that yet. So that's why faith is the key here. Trusting not just the promise of God and its existence and whether he'll fulfill it, but trusting him with the way he does it and the timing with which he does it. I mean, we may not be ready yet. We want the easiest, but he wants the best. I remember... Uh, I had this great life plan in my mind when I left high school and I went to college. It went like this. Step one, go to college, get a great degree, somewhere around the end of my sophomore year or so, pick up a world-class wife. From that point forward, go make great grades. Go from there, get an amazing job, make jillions of dollars. Everybody grows up to be healthy and perfect. And our biggest dilemma in life is going to be which of our vacation houses do we hang out at this fall? You know, and that's the big decision that we have to make. And you go through all, everybody's going to be healthy. All my kids are going to be perfect little, you know, uh, uh, just little kid, brilliant, healthy, perfectly mannered, 100% like Jesus, just on and on and on and on and on. Nothing is going to go wrong. And so what happens then is that I graduate college, single as a monk, Okay. And that, if you think that's what you're going to do, and you think that God has made you some sort of commitment, when in reality, that's really an imaginary promise. It had never occurred to me that maybe God didn't want me to marry at all. I mean, Paul does say, sometimes it's easier to serve the Lord when you're not married. I was going into ministry, never even occurred to me. Or, what if he did have somebody for me, but they weren't ready yet? That could be. I know the one thing that couldn't be true was that I wasn't ready. I mean, in my mind, I was the perfect man, right? <laughs> Which should tell you right then, I'm not ready, right? Uh, I thought, really, I am the ideal man, and, and the goal of dating the process is really about awakening women to that fact, right? <laughs> so all I have to do is just help them understand, and then we'll be ready, Right? Now, does that sound like a guy who's ready to get married to you? Never even occurred to me I wasn't ready. Now, I've been married to my wife for 20 years. I'm well aware that I'm not the perfect man at this point, right? My point is, you just don't, you're not aware all the time of when you're ready and when you're not. And there are times when I've been ready and I wasn't walking by faith enough. I wasn't out there uh, following God by faith. And God was saying, get out there, do this. And I, didn't, I, I was like, I'm not ready. And then other times I thought I was ready, but I wasn't. And that's the way it is for most. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says this. God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, 
People cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. What do you mean I can't see the whole scope? Of course I can't. I mean, usually what we do is we think God doesn't see what's happening in our world. What this text does is it pulls me out and says, oh, I'm not even close to seeing what's in God's world. Right? I'm looking down. Or he's looking down at me and saying, you're not ready yet. I'm going, yes, I am. Don't you see the pain I'm in? Yeah, I do. And you're not ready yet. And then other times I'm up here and it's like, I'm not ready for that. Yes, you are. Go. This is, this, is, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do it right now. Go. I'm not ready yet. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, yes. Right? Back and forth. And then sometimes, if you're not careful, okay, you end up in Jonah land. Or you end up in other things where God says, let me give you a nice big shove. Since you're not going on yourself, just, you know, and out, out the door I go. But even then, there's a plan behind it. There's something God is doing where in his wisdom, he's saying, you're not ready yet, or yes, you are. And the Christian journey is about saying, whatever God's promises are, I'm going to trust him, not just with the content, but the timing and the process. The timing and the process. So, let me ask you this. Have you ever considered thanking God when the promise seems delayed? Like when it doesn't happen in your timing, going, thank you, God, because I, I must not have been ready. Thank you for not leading me into a slaughter here. <laughs> it's never occurred to me. <laughs> I usually just go, well, clearly, God doesn't understand how ready I am. And if he did, off I'd be going. And that's probably how the Israelites felt. But what if, like the Israelites, God's saving us from something? What if that's why you didn't get the job? Or what if that's why you broke up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? It's worth thinking about. Lastly, this creepy thing about Joseph and his bones. Um, this is weird. Let's admit it. We can all say it out loud. Uh, his time always comes. Exodus 13, 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this, and he said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones from, with you from this place. That's Exodus 13, 19. Now that is weird, man. Okay. Uh, so 400 years after Joseph, roughly, uh, Joseph goes to be with the Lord. Moses says, hey, somebody go over to Forest Lawn and get Joseph <laughs> before we leave. Well, what's that about? Joseph, remember, is second in command in Egypt. He's been through quite the ordeal. He was trying to do what God wanted him to do. He landed in prison. He landed in slavery, found his way out, and ended up over all the grain there in Egypt. Here come his brothers. And do you remember what he said to them? You intended it for evil. God intended it for good. That's the ability to stand outside and to trust God with what he's doing. And so he said to them, when he was getting ready to die, he said, I want you. You guys are going to, God's going to lead you out of this place someday. And when he does, I want to go with you. So come back, dig me up, take my bones and bury them there. Because I don't want to be buried here in this land of slavery. I want to be, be buried there in the promised land with my people. I mean, think of the faith that involves. That's why by the time you get to Hebrews, uh, this is Hebrews 11, Hall of Fame of Faith chapter. Here's how that event is interpreted. 
It says, it was by faith, this is Hebrews eleven twenty two, that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with him when they left. And that's exactly what happened. That's faith. Look, I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And when it does, I want to go too. Dead or alive, take me with you. I mean, it was some guy wearing, like, the backpack with Joseph's bones in it. This is kind of strange. I was like, how did they get them? Like, what did they do? It's like, hey, hey, oh, man, I forgot Joseph's bones. I'll be right back. I'll catch you guys later. He had to go back and get them someday when they're wandering around in the wilderness. Joseph is commended for his faith because even before they had really, really entered total slavery at that point, he's saying, you know what? Y'all are going to be freed. God's going to set you free. I don't know when, I just know it's going to happen. And when it does, I'm going with you. So he doesn't want to be buried as a ruler in Egypt. He wants to be buried among his people in the promised land because he knows God is going to do it. Here's what, he, <clears throat> here's what I'd ask you to consider in light of that, that God is not slow, he's patient. He's not slow, he's patient. We're anxious, he's not. He's faithful, and he is unequivocally for his people, unequivocally. Now, if, you think you're, if you're going through something and you think you're exceptional, I'd ask you to consider this. Our good friend, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of God's favorite people. We read about him to this day. We read his words, inspired of the Holy Spirit. We follow some of his teachings, right? And I look at that, and I go, here's what it says about Paul. Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited. God gave me a thorn in the flesh. And I begged him, and I begged him, and I begged him to take it away. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That's the Apostle Paul. Why was it given to him? To keep him from becoming conceited. Why didn't he send Israel the direct route? To keep them from going back into slavery. When we pray to God, God, I'm going to serve you with my life. I'm going to love you, heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. When we're still dripping wet from the baptism and we've made God that kind of promise, part of the answer to our prayers is Him helping us do that by saying in order to keep me from becoming conceited in order to give me the time to grow up in order to help me learn to be more compassionate to others this happened to me in order for this to happen in my life god led me down this path instead of that way in in order to help me become more like jesus god allowed me to ex experience this so that i would better be able to this right so do you see what i'm saying God, we're interested in just getting there and doing it. God wants us to be holy. He wants us to be His. As He's ours. You know, the, the, the trip from Moses to the promised land is an absolute nightmare. Uh, I guarantee you, he, he said to himself, this is the worst road trip I've ever been on in my life. <laughs> Picture mom and dad on a big cross country with the toddlers in the back. And 
you know, 30 minutes in, mom's yelling at the kids in the back, and dad's like, oh, honey, be easy on them. They're just little kids. And then half an hour after that, dad's yelling at him. Mom's like, calm down, honey. And they just do that deal all the way across the country. Don't make me pull this car over. All that stuff is going on, right? That journey from this moment all the way through is a nightmare. It would have been so much easier for Moses to wear a pair of ruby slippers and just click them into the promised land. And they weren't ready. They weren't ready. What God wants us to do is trust that He's going to be faithful to us wherever we are. Whenever we are going there. Joseph doesn't know when it's going to happen. He just knows it will. And he kind of trusts that the day of deliverance is coming. God's going to do that in his time. And that's exactly what happens. But he doesn't do it ruby slipper style. He does wax on, wax off style. So here's how um, Exodus 13 ends this story. That God is always leading us. It says, The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. He provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. I find that rather remarkable and encouraging. Because no matter what they did, he never took that away. They reject him on the edge of the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea they walk through. Shortly thereafter, even though there's a mountain covered in smoke and Moses is up there doing whatever, getting the Ten Commandments, and by the time he comes down, they're already worshiping the golden calf. After that, they continue to go on and complain and complain and complain and complain and complain. And yet, and yet, and yet, God never removes the pillar of cloud and the fire. He never turns the lights out. He never says, fine, have it your way. He never does it. Why? Because His promise still stood. And so even though we're not faithful, He stays faithful. Even though they rejected Him, He kept doing it. Now, the funny part is, uh, you can go, it's not funny at all, actually, it's tragic, but it's a brilliant book. If you ever get a chance, go read Hosea. Maybe we'll do that one before we're done with this series. But listen, Hosea is amazing. He tells Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute, which is a weird assignment for a prophet. Um, I mean, imagine telling the neighbors that one. Yeah, it's God's plan that I do this. So he goes off, marries a prostitute, and he says, because she's going to be unfaithful to you constantly. And I want you to know what it's like to be me. And so it's a breathtaking novel. (laughs) It's a biography about the, the depth of the love of God and what it's like to have his heart broken over and over and over again, and yet for him to stay faithful no matter what. So let me ask you, are you willing to give God the time? Are you willing to to trust His promise whenever it's fulfilled? And however it's fulfilled? Some people only seek God's leadership in crisis, and that's a shame because the pillar of cloud and the fire to this day have never been removed. God still leads us day and night just like He did them. And it says he never took it away from them. And I'll tell you one thing I look forward to. Just like 
whenever this old body dies off and if God doesn't come first, then, uh, then I'll be buried somewhere. He'll say, you know, here lies Tim Spivey, you know, rest in peace, whatever year it is, and, you know, some little caption. You know, he preached too long or something like that. <laughs> uh, but you go on and it's like, uh, there's a day coming when wherever I'm laid to rest, uh, there's a promised land I'm heading to. And I'm not staying there. Neither are you. And so every day that I follow the pillar of cloud and fire, I'm part Moses, part Joseph, I'm always going to have a little Israelite in me. But what he wants to do now is he's put a different pillar of cloud and fire in front of us on a daily basis. His name's Jesus. And we get up every day and we follow him day by day by day. Every day I get up and I follow him. That is my pillar of cloud and fire and it's yours too. So we're going to take communion right now and I want to ask you to, uh, if you didn't get the elements, the bread and the cup, um, if, if we have some extras uh, and if you want to put your hand in the air and just leave it there, uh, we'll come find you. We got some here, here, here. Um, so just keep them up. Don't be shy. Uh, while you're doing it, I'm going to explain communion briefly to those of you who don't do this. We do this every week at New Vintage, and we do it because uh, we believe that something unique and special happens here. We remember the Lord Jesus Christ, and um, normally we would have, in former years, we'd have the big glossy trays and all that stuff, but want to keep people as safe as we can. The bread and the cup represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And so... Jesus asked that we do this in remembrance of him. So I'll pray, and then as you feel led by the Spirit, go ahead and, and take it. And when you do, just remember, he's our pillar of cloud and fire. And God's promise still stands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for the gift of Jesus, our pillar of cloud and fire, for being patient with us, for not taking us the quick way, but taking us the best way. For your great love toward us, Father, we give you thanks. We honor you, we worship you, we adore you, we say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.